0: Okay, Uh, we're going to start a new series uh, today over the next four weeks. Um, Since Ministry Sunday is happening today, we're going to be talking about service. We talk about service a lot uh, here at Celebration, but most churches talk about service a lot. Um, But what we really want to do with this series is we want to kind of break it down and talk about why is it that we serve. Do we just serve so that a church can continue to exist? Do we just serve so that we have stuff for people to do, or is there something deeper Uh, more profound than that. And so this series is going to be a series on why we serve. We're going to start today with just kind of laying the foundation. Uh, We're going to look at a a passage in one of the epistles that, for me, has really shed a new light, a new perspective on service and ministry. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to break it down into different categories. We're going to talk about serving here in our church we're going to talk about serving in the community, and then we're going to go global and talk about serving in the world. So that's the direction we're going for this next month. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, it's been kind of uh, on the stove for about a year or so, and, and now it's time to, to feast. Huh. All right, so <laughs> let's turn to First Peter, if you have a Bible, uh, First Peter chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles that you grabbed in the back, that's page 852, I believe. So 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to be today, and we're, we're only going to be there. We're just going to kind of sit on a few verses here in 1 Peter 4 and work through some of these things. So um, why don't you turn there, and as you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, get ready to dive into the Scriptures. God, as we open your word this morning, um, we do so uh, with a full Understanding the expectation that these are uh, truths and that can impact and change our lives and impact and change our world. And so, as we you read your scriptures, uh, help us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear uh, exactly what you have for us this morning. Help us to be faithful uh, to your word and faithful to your calling uh, to be people uh, who are who are desiring to hear from you and get involved with what you're doing in this world. And so, we ask a blessing as we spend some time in your scriptures this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we get into it, let's do just a little bit of background about um, this book, about 1 Peter. Uh, Peter is a letter that was written in the first century. So sometime around probably early to the mid-60s A.D., so about 2,000 years, a little less than 2,000 years ago. It was a letter written by a guy named Peter. Uh, who, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, you probably remember Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was... Uh, the guy who was always up for anything, but then often uh, would get himself into trouble. Peter was the guy who denied that he was a disciple of Jesus when Jesus was about to be crucified. He separated himself from that. Uh, But then Peter became one of two major leaders in the early Christian movement. So the early Christian church started to spring up about 30 years or so, a little less than 30 years before this letter was written. And Peter was one of the first leaders. Peter and Paul were really the first two leaders of the early Christian movement. He was like one of the original pastors or the original leaders of the church. And so uh, Peter has a rich history in the Christian faith. Uh, and in about 60 A.D. or so, 62, 63, he writes this letters, uh, this letter uh, to Christians who are living all over the Mediterranean world. At this point, the Christian faith was pretty much based in the Mediterranean area, especially the eastern Mediterranean, uh, and Peter writes this letter to these Christians who are all over the place uh, with the hope of encouraging them. So during this time, in the 60s or so A.D., uh, the Christians were beginning to be persecuted. Now when we talk about Christian persecution, the early Christian persecution of the early church, what's the image that comes to your mind? I'm imagining like a Colosseum, right, and a Christian being thrown in and the lions are coming up and the gladiators are coming out and Christians are being killed and murdered and burned all over the place. That did happen and that's a horrible thing, but that was a little bit away from what we're talking about here. That was about a hundred or so years later that this Christian persecution really started to get Uh, deadly and dangerous. At this point, when Peter is writing this letter, uh, persecution essentially involved Christians being pushed to the fringe of society. Now, in the culture of the first century, it was very important that somebody who lived in a city uh, was committed to the ideals of the city and committed to doing the things that the rest of the community was doing. So each city had a certain set of gods that they would worship in order to provide for that city. Uh, the city of Ephesus famously worshipped uh, Artemis, who was one of the major gods of the Greek world. And so if I lived in Ephesus and I said, you know what, I don't want to worship Artemis, I don't think she was real, that would put me uh, at a distance from the rest of the culture because I would be seen as someone who didn't care about the welfare or the community. And so, anybody who didn't worship these gods began to be pushed out outside of the community. This involved them being pushed out economically. Uh, this involved them being pushed out socially. Suddenly, the invitations to go hang out uh, at your friend's house stopped coming because you weren't part of the community. This is what was happening to Christians. They began to be pushed away from what everybody else was doing in the culture because of the things that they were preaching because of the things that they were not involving themselves in and because of the ideals that they held. Uh, There was this feeling that the Christians uh, were looking down upon and judging the rest of the culture because of the ways that they were living their lives and the things that they were doing. And so as the culture began to feel judged by Christians, they began to push Christians to the fringes of society. Now, some of these Christians would be thrown in prison, but mostly it was this so, sort of social stigma. Nobody wanted to be known as a Christian because those were those weirdos who didn't do the things that all of the community wanted to do. Now, I know this is really hard for us to imagine uh, what this is like. That's a joke. Um, but this is exactly what the world of first century Christianity was, was for these people. And so Peter writes this letter uh, to these Christians with the hope of encouraging them. A hope of saying, look guys, stick it out. Keep your chin up. Um, There's something better coming. I know this is hard right now. I know that you're feeling uh, ostracized right now. I know that you're feeling like you're not part of the community right now. But keep your chin up. You'll get through this. And so he writes this letter of encouragement to talk about them suffering. So that's a little bit of background. Now let's jump in. We're going to be in verse 7 of chapter 4. I encourage you to read all of First Peter, and you will if you're in Readers United. Um, right? uh, but we're just going to jump in right now, like four or five verses here in, in First Peter 4. I'm just going to read it through, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter, uh, in this... uh, a little bit of a hyperbole here, maybe not hyperbole, uh, but this very powerful statement says, the end of all things is near, <laughs> right? Uh, a little bit of a huge statement, or, a, a bit here. Uh, Peter's claim is that things are about to happen in which uh, the world as you know it is going to end. The first century Christians lived uh, with a very sharp understanding Uh, that God was going to break in and change all of history during their lives. And this is still something that we today, as Christians, long for and hope for and are certain of. uh, That at some point, God is going to break into history and things are going to change. And so Peter makes this statement, the end of all things is near. Uh, You know, put on your tinfoil hats and uh, get in your shelter with your five-gallon drums of corn or something like that. Uh, But that's exactly the point, that he doesn't say that, right? Peter says, the end of all things is near. And then he goes on to tell these Christians how to respond to this really shocking news that everything is going to end and the end of the world is coming. And what is his instruction to them? (laughs) Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Uh, Speak powerfully to one another. As Peter looks and understands that something really big is about to happen, the end of the world, Christ is going to return, the signs are everywhere, the blood moons are coming, right? Things are about to happen. His response to them is, serve, love, be a part of your community in a really profound way, which I think is a really interesting response. uh, One that I don't know if I've seen very many Facebook posts that (laughs) that say, uh, The signs are all coming. Let's love one another, right? (laughs) Usually a little bit different than that, but this is exactly what Peter is saying. Now, I want to get into verse 10 because this is where we're really going to kind of sit here. Uh, He says a really important thing. He says in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So before we dive into that verse, there's two words that are really important, that we understand uh, what's going on here in the Greek language. So the first word uh, is the word charisma, uh, which you thought that was the thing that Johnny Depp had, right? Uh, Charisma is... (laughs) No Johnny Depp fans in here? Come on. He's a legendary actor. Uh, Charisma uh, is a Greek word, and this is the word that in your Bible is translated as gift. Uh, But there's an important nuance here, uh, when we see this word charisma, we're not just talking like a present, something that you wrap up and give to somebody, but the word charisma has this very specific ca- connotation of a gift from the divine, okay? So charisma is something that comes from God, a gift that comes from God. And so when Peter says, uh, each one of you should use your gifts to serve one another, uh, he's saying your gift, something that came from God. Now, this can be a really broad term. Uh, This is actually the only time uh, in the New Testament epistles that this is used outside of the writings of Paul. Paul uses this word quite a bit, uh, but this is the only time that Peter uses this word. If you read through Paul's epistles, Paul's letters that he wrote to the early Christians, he talks about gifts, too. In fact, he'll often list these different gifts. And so some will say uh, that when this word charisma is used, there's only a very specific boundary of things that it includes. But I want to suggest that what Peter's talking about here is something a little bit broader than that. And so when Peter says the word charisma, I think maybe we could define it as this. Passions, skills, and talents that originate in God, that's the most important part, something that comes from God, and are used to help and serve others. So when Peter talks about gifts here, there's this idea that the people in the church, the churches that he's writing to, have a set of skills or passions or gifts, and they're things that come specifically from God. This isn't just something that I'm, I'm good at, uh, but maybe the line there is a little blurry, but it's not just something that I'm good at, but it's something that God has given me with the purpose of me using that to help others, Okay. We'll talk in more detail about that in a few minutes. We'll kind of get into what that actually looks like. But this is the first word that we need to know. Charisma. Passion, skills, and talents that originate in God and are used to help serve others. The second important word here is the word oikonomos. Let's say that one together. Oikonomos. Oikonomos uh, is related to a word oikonomia, which is an important theological word uh, that has to do with periods of time in which God is working. Uh, but an oikonomos is a noun, and it's a person, okay? This is a word that comes from the business language of the first century. So people who were involved in business, who uh, made money with their lives, they would use this word oikonomos, and it was a title that was given to somebody. So if you were a wealthy landowner, wealthy man or wealthy woman, and you're, you have a business Uh, you may not have enough time in your day uh, to both run your business, to make sure all your finances are right at at home, to make sure all the food's being purchased, to make sure your kids are going to school on time to do all that stuff. Maybe some of you can relate to this. If you're working, your work life is consuming so much of your time and so much of your energy, you don't have time to do all of these other things. And so uh, what these people would do is they would hire an oikonomos or a manager who would come in, oftentimes this would be a a slave, who would be given the title of oikonomos, and it was their job to manage some of the possessions or some of the household of their boss. A few weeks ago, we talked about the story of Joseph. Maybe you remember that story. Joseph, after being sold into slavery, finds himself working for this guy named Potiphar. In, In Potiphar's house, Joseph is given control of all of Potiphar's possessions, And so it's Joseph's job and Joseph's responsibility to make sure the bills are getting paid, uh, to make sure the investments are happening, to make sure the kids are being taken care of, to make sure that there's food on the table. Even though none of those things are actually owned by Joseph himself, he is not the owner of that stuff. Potiphar is. Potiphar has put Joseph in charge of this. I'm sure a lot of you function in this way in your workplace, whether you're uh, a manager at work or maybe you're you're an assistant manager or a vice president or maybe you're just an employee, but at some point you deal with possessions that are owned by somebody else and you have the expectation that you're going to use those responsibly and you're going to use those possessions properly in order to make your boss money. This is not a, a, a long reach at all for us to understand who, what an was. And so in your Bibles, this is translated with the word steward, to be a good steward. But that's a word that we only use on airplanes, right? Uh, or when you're at a baseball game or something. And so maybe a, a more um, robust way to define this word is this. A manager who is given control of possessions with the expectation that they will be used properly, okay? So I know oikonomos, if I was the oikonomos of Brian Shurstead, (laughs) I would go into Brian's life, he'd give me all of his bank account information, he'd give me all of his uh, credit card stuff, and it would be my job to make sure that Brian's household is run properly, If I start investing uh, in really bad, you know, things like Samsung Galaxies or stuff like that, uh, and the money just starts dropping, Brian is not going to be very happy with me. (laughs) Brian is going to call me in and he's going to talk to me about it because I'm not properly using his property. (laughs) He's expecting me uh, to use it responsibly and to do it in a proper way. And if I don't, then there's issues. And so my job then uh, is to use Brian's stuff as if it was my own, because I'm wanting to serve Brian. We understand what an oikonomos is, okay? This is who this, this person is. So we have these words, charisma and oikonomos, gifts, talents, skills from God that are used to serve others. An oikonomos, a person who's given the responsibility of using their boss's stuff properly. Let's plug them back into this verse and see what Peter is saying here. In verse 10, he says this, each of you should use whatever charisma, use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful oikonomos, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. So for Peter, what he's saying here is pretty important. And what he's saying here is a direct application to what we're talking about when we talk about service from Peter's perspective, the gifts, the talents, the skills, the abilities that you have that have been given to you by God, that are used to serve others, are ultimately not really yours at all. Sometimes we use the term, that's a gift from God, and we just kind of use it flippantly. But this is what Peter's talking about, and he's not using it flippantly. He's using it directly and saying that the gifts you have, the skills, the talents, the things that you have that can be used to serve others are not only from God, but they actually are the possession of God. And you are simply the person who is in control of it with the responsibility and the expectations that you will use those things in order to serve the God who they belong to. Now that's a big concept, and that's a huge concept, and that is so important for us to wrap our minds around when it comes to this idea of service, when it comes to this idea of ministry. That the skills, the gifts, the charismas that you have are actually God's, and you are simply functioning as his oikonomos, with the expectation that you will use them properly to serve him. I don't always think of it that way. <laughs> I'm guessing that we don't always think of it that way, right? We, well, this is the things that I'm good at, and, you know, if, if there's an opportunity, I'll use them maybe, but, you know, these are my skills, these are my gifts, this is my money, this is my whatever. This is not what... Peter is saying, Peter is being very clear that these things are God's, and you're simply the in-between. <laughs> you have simply been given them with the expectation that you're going to use them. And so the question is, is that how we think about the skills and the gifts that we have? Is that how you think about the skills and the gifts that you have? Maybe we should ask ourselves this question. If this is true, how would it change the way I approach blank? If it's true that the gifts, the talents, the skills, the charisma that I have are not actually mine, but they are the possession of God, and I've simply been given the responsibility of using them in order to serve him, if that is true... How does that change the way I approach relationships? How does it change the way I interact with people? How does it change the way I approach the people in my church, the people in my life, the people in my family? Service doesn't just happen in a church building. Charismas are used all over the place. So how does this affect the way I approach relationships? How does this approach, or how does this change the way I approach church? What is the role of church? What is my role in church? If, in fact, these charismas, these gifts, these talents, these skills I have aren't mine just to kind of hold on to, but they're God's, and I'm expected to use them in a way that is reflecting and responsible of Him, how does that change the way I think about church? How does it change the way I think about my life? That's kind of a cop-out because that fills everything. But (laughs) I think that if we begin to really ask ourselves that question, there may be some answers in here that make radical changes in the way that you orchestrate and arrange your life. If this is true, what does it mean about the things that I'm putting my money into or the things that I'm putting my time into or the things that I'm, doing, that I'm having my kids do or the things that I'm committing these people to or the things that I'm committing myself to? If this is true, how does this affect my schedule? How does this affect what I'm doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? If this is true, how would it change the way I approach? And the answer to the the blank there is endless. So that's the question we need to ask ourselves. But um, the thing that always comes up in a situation like this is when we talk about this idea of charisma, We think of things like um, teaching a Sunday school class. We think of things um, like, you know, the really hard, big stuff, playing music in the worship band. (laughs) We think of things like running the soundboard. And these are things that I don't do, right? (laughs) These are the things that you're saying, I I don't do any of that stuff. I can't do any of that stuff. I'm not skilled or really have any desire to do any of this stuff, those are not my charismas. That's not the skills, talents, abilities that I have been given in order to serve others. This is why I love uh, the breadth of Peter's list here. He starts with this, hospitality. (laughs) Hospitality in the first century meant when somebody was traveling, a missionary or a Paul or just somebody from another church was traveling through the Mediterranean world, and they came to your town, hospitality meant you saying, hey, why don't you come and you can, you can sleep here? I'll give you a meal. That was hospitality, and that is what Peter says <laughs> is a charisma that is used in order to serve God. That is really, really, really simple. There's no public speaking involved. You don't even have to have a degree (laughs) to be hospitable. Hospitality is like, you know, that's there. And I know that there are people in this room that love that. Maybe you don't love that, but you know you're good at it. (laughs) Like, why am I so good at hospitality? I hate having people in my house. (laughs) So he starts with hospitality, and then he gets all the way... Uh, to the word speaking, which is actually probably better translated as public proclamation. This would be like um, teaching a sermon or teaching a Sunday school class or um, going out on a street corner and yelling at people. That's always very effective. Um, But the point is, he starts with love and hospitality, and then he makes his way all the way to public proclamation. Why is he doing that? Is he saying that those are the only two or three things that are involved here? No. (laughs) I think Peter is going out of his way to make sure that his audience, his readers, the people who are hearing these scriptures being taught, like us, uh, understand that when we talk about the charismas and serving others, there's a really, really, really wide range of things here. It goes all the way from the basic, simple of just welcoming somebody into your home all the way uh, to the big, (laughs) the ones that we see people standing up on stage to do. And guess what? There is no priority here. One of them is not better than the other. One of them is not holier than the other. Doing one of them doesn't mean you're more faithful than the other. Peter recognizes that each person who is hearing this has been given a different Set or a different speciality of charismas. And his message is, whatever you have been given, whatever gifts, talents, passions that you have been given by God in order to serve others, use that because you are an oikonomos of that charisma. And no one else is an oikonomos of that specific charisma with that specific personality like you are. And there's a huge range of what that looks like. From teaching Sunday school, to preaching, to just being nice, to driving somebody somewhere, this is all under this umbrella of charisma. And what Peter is challenging us to do is to ask ourselves the question, if that's true... If I really am simply an oikonomos of these things, how does that change the way I approach blank? So this is the the question that Peter asked. In a few minutes here, uh, we're going to spend some time in our ministry fair. And in that ministry fair, you're going to go through tables and you're going to see all of these different ways in which you can take these charismas that you are just a steward of, and use them in order to serve God. And it's going to go all the way from being on a missionary committee where you get together once a month and you talk about how ministry is being done around the world and think about ways that we as a church can be involved— you're going to go from there. You're going to go to music ministry where you get on stage and you play an instrument or you sing. You're going to go from there to talking about teaching little kids in Sunday school and preaching the gospel to them and just being a nice person to these little kids, letting them know that, yes, church is a safe and a fun place to be. You're going to go all the way from there to bringing uh, a sheet of cookies on Sunday morning and helping set up the coffee on Sunday morning. None of these things are outside of what Peter is talking about. None of these things are bigger, smaller, more important, less important than the others. They're all under this umbrella of charisma in which we are the oikonomos of. You are someone who is responsible for the things that God has given you. Uh, We're going to sing a song here in a second, but before we do, I just want to tell you a story. I want to end this with a story um, about a woman that I know many of you know. I think uh, Judy Wicks is even related to this woman, <laughs> Marge Schutz. Um, we just had Marge's funeral a couple weeks ago. Um, this is a picture I'm hoping from the 70s. Um, based on <laughs> the clothing, <laughs> Marge. Uh, when when right before I was born, my parents moved back to Seattle after spending some time in Minneapolis. Uh, and Vern and Marge were the pastor of. Uh, the church that my dad began working at. So growing up for the first 10 years of my life, uh, these were my pastor and pastor's wife, Vern and Marge Schutz. Uh, Vern then came back here, and so some of you who maybe had been involved in the Berean Bible Church here, I'm sure know Vern and Marge. Um, but at Marge's funeral a couple weeks ago, um, they, they told this, this beautiful story. Uh, I think it was Karen's mom who told this story. Um, Marge was getting towards the end of her life. She was in her late 80s. Um, she'd spent her whole life um, serving in being a part of children's ministries. Like, that was her thing. She realized that her charismata was not necessarily, you know, teaching a women's Bible study, but her charisma was being with kids and, and ministering to children. So she'd done that her whole life. But as she was getting older, uh, she was aware <laughs> that her body was starting to slow down. And she wasn't able to do all of the things that she used to do. And so she had kind of had to take a little bit of a step back. But for Marge, she still understood that just because she was in her late 80s, 90s, that didn't mean uh, that her charismatas, her charismas were gone. And so she and her friend talked and they said, hey, let's do something. Let's get involved working with some little kids. And we can't do everything. We can't lift them up anymore. We can't carry them around. We can't chase them around the room, but we can read to them. We can minister to them in that way. And so this lady, <laughs> she definitely earned a, uh, <laughs> a, a pass, right? If she would have said, you know what, I'm done. I'm stepping back. Nobody would have said anything to her. Yet she understood what Peter is saying here. She was an oikonomos of a Charisma. She was simply a steward of something God had gave her, and it was her responsibility to make sure that it was being used. And so she just spent later years of her life just reading with kids. And then uh, the story went on to talk about how one of the last times Marge's friend was able to be with her before she passed away. Uh, they went out to lunch, and they were sitting there having lunch together and just talking, and pretty soon they noticed uh, in a booth not too far away there was a woman who was probably, you know, 15, 20 years younger than them. Um, but she was obviously distraught. There was something going on. She was sad. She was, she was in, a, in a dark place. And so they just sat with one another, seeing this woman. And at some point, Marge says, come on. <laughs> so they got up, and they went over, and they sat with her. And as they were talking, it turns out that she had just lost her husband. And she was now trying to adjust to this new reality, and they were able to talk to her and tell her, you know what? We've been there. (laughs) We know what that's like. We've been through this experience, and that beautiful power of somebody saying, me too. (laughs) I've been there. I'm still going through that, but it gets better. I'm getting to the other side. was so powerful for that woman. And they were just sitting at lunch. This was like weeks before she died. (laughs) Yet, This charisma that she had of knowing that I can just go talk to this person and I can be a comfort to this person. Uh, She understood that she was no economos of that. She could have just kept eating her lunch, but she did. She didn't. She went over. She ministered. And she, at that point, was responsibly using what God had given her. She was not on a stage. She didn't even sign up for that. (laughs) She just did it because that was what God had gifted her with, and she understood that I gotta use this. I have to use this. And so uh, the band can come on up, and we're gonna—they're gonna sing a servant song. But as they do, this is the question that we sit with. This is a question that I hope makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> That's part of my job—is to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, It makes me uncomfortable sometimes when I think about this. If this is true, if in fact I'm simply an oikonomos of a charisma, how does this change the way that I live? If you are in fact just an oikonomos of your charisma, how does it change the way that you live? We're going to sing, and then we'll we'll close in prayer. So the point of what we did today... uh, isn't to guilt you, (laughs) or isn't to make you uh, feel like I'm strong-arming you into signing on those sheets back there, though I will be watching. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) The point is uh, that this is what the scriptures say, and I understand that in our lives we go through seasons and times where serving um, is a huge part of what we do, and there's seasons and times where we need to focus attention on serving in different places, and I get that, and I want to be sensitive to that, but I also want us to let the Scriptures do what the Scriptures do most, and that's cut right to the heart of us. I want us to be a little bit uncomfortable, and I want us to look at these Scriptures and give an honest answer, and give an honest answer to this. Oikonomos of a charisma. Are you in that role right now? Are you responsibly using what God has given you to serve others? Because that's what you are. Of your charisma, you are the only one who can be that steward and that oeconomist. And so, as we leave this place, we go into our ministry Sunday and our potluck, and then we leave and you go home. Let these things sink in, let it get deep into your bones. Wrestle with it. Don't go to bed if you're uncomfortable. Just allow these things to ruminate and stir and allow the Holy Spirit to do its thing. Whether that's here at this church, whether that's in a ministry somewhere else, whether that's just in your neighborhood, be a servant. Be a steward. Use your charisma because it is your responsibility to use what God has given you in that way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty of diversity within your body. So many people of uh, different uh, backgrounds and culture and gender and histories. Yet, yeah, God, each one of us have been given a unique way to serve you together and as individuals. And it's our prayer that we as a church seek to empower that sort of service. But, God, as we as individuals uh, also think about these things, it is our desire that you challenge us to perhaps step outside of a comfort zone, perhaps make some changes in our lives, perhaps maybe take away a little bit of that time that we've been holding back for something else uh, because you have given us this responsibility and we want to be people who serve you and who responsibly use what you have given us. So we thank you uh, for the ability to serve and we just pray that each one of us finds that nook in that niche where we can jump in and be a servant. We pray all of these things in your giving name. Amen.